Educated Thoughts presented by Pre-Scouter. We're focusing on big ideas in life science, and I'm Jeremy Schmer, joined by Dr. Michael Boat. The COVID-19 pandemic has essentially been a way of life for about the last two and a half years. But where are we in the pandemic journey? Do we have it under control? Should it still dictate our major decisions? Luckily, no one is looking to us to be the authority on precise answers to those questions. However, we'll take some time today to shed some light on a few questions people seem to be asking. The first one is looking at the impact of vaccination on test effectiveness and the sort of implication with the viral loads. Michael, is there a connection here between if someone might be fully vaccinated, three or even four vaccinations, and the effectiveness of a PCR or an antigen test? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And it's something that uh, more and more data is becoming available. I think it's uh, intuitively from a biology perspective, I guess people may think that once you're vaccinated that's, and actively protected, so you have antibodies going through your body, that there may be sort of a break, basically, like in a car on the amount of virus that can replicate within a body. But actually, it's not that clear cut. And if you look at the publications out there, you can see that there's not really a direct correlation between people being vaccinated and having a lower amount of virus floating around in their system and neither a lower sensitivity for uh, the testing. So of course those two are connected. So there's no real, real evidence that that's the case. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying that the vaccine doesn't necessarily suppress the viral load to a point where it can't be picked up it more so suppresses the symptoms so if someone does indeed have the virus and they have full vaccination it'll still be picked up i think the best way to think about it is um is is a an athletic race is where you're you start running um and so the first runner is the virus it infects you and then your immune system is the second runner I think the trick really with vaccination is that your immune system will catch up quicker when you're vaccinated than when you're not. And so the end stage or potential, um, the potential um, duration of the disease, but also the impact on your immune system and your health is going to be on average a lot lower. However, the virus still gets enough head start to reach these high levels of virus within your body. So there's still that ramp up phase because that happens within a few days. And so it takes your body a few days to really start manufacturing a lot of these antibodies, um, even if you're vaccinated. So that's an interesting perspective. So could it be that the window might be smaller for the test to be effective? Because if, if you're, if we're taking your analogy of, of the race, and your immune system catches up too quickly, but perhaps you still have the virus. Could it be that you might test negative when you're actually positive and that could lead to some ambiguity as to whether you have the virus or you're testing positive and need to quarantine, et cetera? Yeah. And so to make it a bit more complicated for the listeners is that if you just got vaccinated, you will have a lot of antibodies. So you, if you think about that runner scenario, your immune system is almost immediately starting after the virus. So it has very little distance to catch up, right? Or very little time in this case. If you're a year down your last vaccination, it will be a bit of a longer time before your immune system is up and running. And so to answer your question is, 
if you look at these tests, um, they capture a certain uh, analyte, right? So PCR captures genetic material, an antigen test captures a piece or a protein of the virus, a peptide. Um, depending on which one you look at, if you look at the antigen test, it is more reflective of active virus than the PCR. And so you're right in that vaccinated people, if they kill off the virus quicker, they will still have the genetic material floating around, residual. So positive PCR. And that's positive, yeah. which may lead you to think that they're infected, but it, they might not be. And so this is a really complicated issue also for traveling, entering buildings, uh, being around your family. That's it's not really, a, there's not really a good way of telling then with PCR whether someone's still infectious or not, and even not with antigen testing. So there's, there's going to be some kind of window or a gray area where it might be that you're already uh, in a safe zone or if you, you've killed off all that live virus, so to say, but you would still test positive. Well, and we won't ask you to be the authority on what's safe, what's not. We'll leave that to, to policymakers. But um, as a follow-up question, I've heard more and more people testing positive, then negative, then positive again. Is this totally user error or is there something else at play, you know, similar to what we were just discussing? Yeah, it, it depends a bit on the scenario. I would say that uh, in general, uh, from, from experience, looking at diagnostics and instructions for use, people are not that good at reading. Um, so it definitely definitely plays into it uh there's a certain attention span required to do a diagnostic test i noticed that as a person who's worked in the lab it feels really comfortable but i notice friends around me they're a bit more less uh, at ease with doing some of these things than than people that have experience so there's the user element there's also the element of which tests you pick so what i've heard quite a lot around me is you know i have an antigen test it's positive I test negative uh, five days down the line, and then I test positive. And usually that positive test is then a PCR. What's so PCR? it's Genetic much more PCR. sensitive. And so it depends a bit on the testing scenario. It would be hard for me to um, understand someone testing negative on an antigen for one or two times and then testing positive again. I don't think there's a reason to believe with the knowledge we have now that the virus would spike up again. In a right. The virus normal- is not necessarily a a roller coaster. It's more of just like a standard bell curve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so getting away from the testing component a bit, there are lots of treatments now people get infected and there's antivirals or there's antibody therapies. Um, what are some of these treatments and what might be the drawbacks of some of them? I think, uh, so you're right. There's definitely a few options out there. Um, of course, under the EUA released, um, I would say, generally speaking, regardless of which uh, which one you look at, they were already in the makings for other viruses or their antivirals that were already being tested. That's why they could be released uh, so quickly for uh, SARS-CoV-2. That means that there's probably uh, an element of of win that that we could have if we would specify it for this disease. So that that is one of the more conceptual drawbacks, I think. Um, I would say safety wise, there, people are, are using these medications. Um, there's definitely some side effects and risks associated with them. And so, um, 
that's something that I feel because of the EUA, there's a bit more leniency in that attitude. And also, especially in people who are immunocompromised or really when the risk um, outweighs the potential benefit of not intervening, right? So when, when someone is really at risk, um, there's really a lot of value for these, but they're not without side effects. So that's, uh, that's one other thing to, to note. Would you say that there's a common side effect? I mean, it, it, it seems like these drugs were created not so specifically for, for COVID. It's almost just like a blanket treatment that you have a virus. This is just going to be like dropping an atomic bomb on, on your, you know, your virus to just eradicate it, but it might come with some of those other implications or other impacts in other parts of the body. Is there something specific that might get damaged or might be impacted? Uh, I wouldn't say to the extent where it's generalizable. There's different types of treatment, of course, as the passive infusion of antibodies. And so these are, of course, specific to SARS-CoV-2. Right. Uh, they're pretty short-lasted. Um, there are definitely some, um, some, some side effects known from that. Uh, but those don't carry over, for instance, into the antivirals. And so these antivirals are usually a bit more general. They might attack the um, a piece of the engine of the virus, like a mm -hmm. replication machinery that is conserved among different viruses. So that's a more general mode of action. Um, a few of the, the side effects there, I think, um, is, are similar to um, how SARS-CoV-2 is, is acting is uh, taste and smell for some reason uh, for some of these medications. Others are um, related to the, the circulatory blood cardiovascular system, um, also very similar to uh, COVID-19 uh, symptoms in some cases. I would say overall, they're not, of course, they would get EUA approval if they, they were um, unsafe, but there's quite a lot of uh, different types of, of side effects that that are known for these medications. Got it. So yeah, it, it really depends on a person's situation, a variety of factors, and these treatments may not be best for everybody, but they certainly um, are effective for those, you know, perhaps in dire situations. One, um, one note to that is, please. There, for instance, people who are overweight are at higher risk for uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, and, and in COVID-19 uh, sequelae. And so that is a population where there's more prescription of, of molnupiravir, for instance, is one of these uh, medications. So there's, there's sort of a targeting, uh, a, a blanket treatment on, on certain populations that are deemed at risk. Got it. Yeah, that's an important clarification. And in a similar capacity, my next question is, you know, different from person to person in terms of, you know, how, how intense the virus might be, depending on which strain you get, your age, your weight, your immunity status, how many vaccines, how long it's been since your last vaccine. Is there any evidence to suggest that the new variants are less aggressive. I know people have said, oh, well, if you had Delta, you know, you really had it rough or, you know, Omicron or BA2 are less intense. It's hard to probably give a blanket answer because there's just too many variables at play. But what's your perspective on, is the virus maybe losing steam? Should we be less concerned, different severity levels? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think it's a, a very active 
research area as well. <clears throat> I think a lot of the distractions or noise come from the news outlets that pick a certain case study or selection of case studies and then say it's less dangerous or there's less reason to believe it's uh, XYZ. Um, I would say in general, it requires a lot of time to study this properly. Um, in most cases, these studies are lagging behind about a year or a year and a half before we have a good idea of um, contagiousness, so spreading, um, to get enough people in a data set so that you can isolate certain disease uh, factors, right? Another big issue, I think, is um, the control group of non-vaccinated people is becoming smaller and smaller. So comparing someone with Delta who was unvaccinated to Omicron who was vaccinated, of course, they'll on average have a milder case, right? So that's a big confounding factor to, um, to those studies. So it's going to be really, really hard to piece apart those, those particular trends. I think that's something we'll be able to tell in a few years from now, maybe not ever with high certainty. I think there's definitely, if you think about evolution of, of the virus, right, there is certainly a selection um, on certain characteristics of the virus within a population. And so one of them that we saw early on is there was a decrease in the amount of time it took to ramp up the amount of virus and for people to start exposing others or being able to expose others. And that's, of course, from an evolutionary perspective, it just allows to infect more people more rapidly. And so that was something that's um, changed um, over time. And then I think the question is, is that then associated with uh, less virulence because it's in a different piece of the body, right? I think that's something we can probably figure out. But for a lot of these more subtle mutations or variants, it might be very tricky to to really pinpoint that. Interesting. So it's probably jumping the gun for people to say, hey, it's less intense or it's more contagious because it's it's too difficult to know and the data isn't really coming out in real time to accurately make one of those conclusions. Is that a fair way to characterize it? Just imagine, you're completely right, but just imagine the the ultimate experiment to, to compare two variants, and that's taking into account the variant uh, differences. And then the, we didn't even talk about this, don't get me started, about person-to-person -person variation or even within-person variation, right? The ideal experiment would be to take, for instance, me, a uh, while ago when I was unvaccinated, um, and then see upon exposure of an alpha variant, um, or at that point, uh, sort of have cloned myself and also give me a, a delta variant <laughs> at that exact point in time, right? That's, that's the only true comparison, because even me a day after that, there might be subtle differences to my physiology that impact the Your disease metabolism right? yeah so sure. and, and those are small confounders and they get bigger as you for instance have immunization or you know if there's a different person someone who are maybe related in family and share some genetic codes versus someone in a completely different country so that's only amplifies some of those confounding factors so the true experiment can be done that's the the big problem I hear what I hear what you're saying. It sounds like if somebody makes a claim around that um, severity or more aggressive or more contagious, maybe, I mean, there's just not really a way to know for sure. So perhaps maybe 
and and hopefully it is you know tapering off but we don't know for sure um, and probably in a few years we'll we'll be able to retrospectively look combine data sets and look at some of these parameters and do a bit more accurate modeling i think it's just too early to say oh there's a new variant and then two weeks later oh yeah it's a lot more contagious because there's right. not really any grounds to conclude that so just want right to be on. careful no that's listeners. good that's good perspective um let's leave it there for today as you mentioned there's a lot of different places we could go with this so perhaps we'll pick it up in a subsequent conversation but we hope you enjoyed this conversation hope it might be informative for those who are asking those types of questions if you're not a subscriber already find us on apple spotify and stitcher and thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time